Welcome. This is Neil Grant, author of the book, Words of Wisdom from a Christian Mentor, Practical, Real Life, and Holistic Advice for the Graduate Transitioning into Adulthood. The paperback is for sale on my website, newgradadvice.com. Also, both the ebook and the paperback book are for sale on Amazon. My last podcast discussed making a presentation with many suggestions to help allay your fears about getting up in front of an audience. This podcast starts part two of the book and moves into providing advice to improve your spiritual life. There are many topics that I wanted to include in this podcast to help your Christian walk and make it more meaningful. As such, many of them can be stated in a few paragraphs, and it would be more useful to do that instead of making a separate podcast on each one. So this podcast is a compilation of information which I thought would be useful and meaningful to you in deepening your faith. However, it will be a little bit longer than the majority of my podcasts. Ever talk to someone who said they were Christian? Well, it's not your job to determine whether they are or not. You pretty much thought their definition of being a Christian was different from yours. They went to a church as a child, recited all the standard liturgical phrases, say grace at meals and the like, but have never accepted Jesus as their Savior. They don't know Jesus as their Lord and have no works to show what's truly in their heart. By the strict definition, they will not be with Christ in eternity. Their faith is meaningless. This podcast is focused on and addressed to those who have accepted Jesus as their Savior, but need to grow in their faith. How can that be done and knowing what information can help in this process? Some of these will be addressed here. Let's start by finding the right church. I remember when we were touring certain places in Beijing with our Buddhist guide, and when we came to a huge statue of Buddha, she performed a certain ritual in front of it in praise to it. I asked how she increases her knowledge of the Buddhist philosophy and if she goes to the temple regularly. She said she does neither. She just relied on what her parents taught her 20 years ago. There is no furthering of this knowledge or spiritual growth over their lifetime. That is not what the young Christian needs to do. Once saved, he or she needs to nurture their hunger for more knowledge of Christ and his teaching in order to grow in the faith. The best way to do this is to find a Christ-centered church, which teaches specifically from the Bible, and go to church every week to soak in this teaching. This church should clearly state that their doctrine is strictly from the Bible, which they should consider inerrant and preach the gospel of salvation. The Bible is not meant to inform the reader, but to transform the reader. To me, it's the best to go to a bigger church where it has assortment of Sunday school classes, which attract people with similar interests, such as senior adults, college age, adults with young children, etc. This is the best way to get connected with other Christians, to have fellowship with them and grow in the word. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread, which is communion, and prayers. These are all the four pillars of the church's responsibility, and one needs to find a church which will provide all of these to its parishioners. Use Biblical References In order to grow your faith, you should have several sound biblical references readily available to you so you will know how to quickly get a question answered or verse explained 
while it's still on your mind. Here are some references for you to use on a regular or recurring basis. The Bible. You should use a study Bible. I use Ryrie's Standard Bible, which is the New American Standard Version, which has plenty of footnotes on each page to help you understand the verses on that page. These are very valuable, especially when reading complicated scripture verses, such as Psalms. Phone Applications I use one called the Holy Bible, which allows you to read the entire Bible with any translation you wish to use. It also has a myriad of other features to allow you to dig into the Word wherever you are. Here are some of the websites that I use. GotQuestions.org You can get key answers in any biblical question you have, and it will provide an answer to your question. BibleHub.com This is one of my favorites as it provides commentaries or detailed explanations by noted scholars for every Bible verse, as well as being able to read the Bible, and a concordance in case you wish to ascertain where a given phrase or word is found in the Bible. BibleProject.com This is an amazing site which has many well-written and animated videos explaining any book of the Bible, as well as many topical subjects, all shown in an amazing animated form and books. There are simply too many Christian books on the market to delve into here. Just go to a half-price bookstore, or online, of course, to find topics addressed that you have an interest in. Miscellaneous Useful Christian Topics As noted earlier, here are some standalone subjects of importance with short descriptions of each. Glory. God's glory is a concept that we have an awareness of without necessarily being able to describe it in all its fullness. Everything in creation exists for the glory of God, including ourselves. Whatever we do, we are to do for the glory of God. We spread the gospel for the glory of God. We obey God's word for the glory of God. We submit to those who are over us and we endure suffering and persecution for the glory of God. But what does it mean to glorify God, and how can we become better at it? In the Bible, the word glory has several different meanings. It can mean light, beauty, majesty, or awesomeness. However, it also means honor, when we honor someone. We publicly show the value that we have towards that person. Praise and worship glorify God, because through them, we honor him by publicly telling how much we value him and expressing his worth to us. Grace. Grace is the essence of the gospel, God's unmerited favor. It is a gift that costs everything for the giver and nothing for the recipient, and it is Christianity's best gift to the world. It doesn't depend on what we have done for God, but what God has done for us. While we deserve justice, we get God's mercy, and furthermore, we receive his grace. In the Old Testament, grace speaks of deliverance from enemies, affliction, or adversity. It also denotes enablement, daily guidance, and forgiveness. In the New Testament, grace is the love of Jesus shown to the unlovable, the peace of God given to the restless, the unmerited favor of God, and most importantly, the path to salvation. He has forgiven us our sins 
and blessed us with life everlasting. Justice is getting what we deserve for our sins, but mercy is God not punishing for our sins. Grace is God's blessing us despite the fact that we do not deserve it. There is something called the loophole of grace, and this is grace abuse. Is not doing things you know are wrong because you will know you will be forgiven by God's grace. In business, when stretching the envelope, they say, oh, it's better to beg for forgiveness than ask permission. Grace abuse stems from a confusion of condoning and forgiving. The idea grows into an obsession and ultimately grace becomes a license for immorality. Romans 6 says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? By no means. We died to sin, so why shouldn't we now want to live in it any longer? Here's another topic. Faith without works is dead. There are a lot of scripture passages about faith and that it is the only way to heaven with Christ. James, in his writing to believers, talks about works, and some get confused if it's faith or works that saves you. For it is written that faith without works is dead. One of the more serious problems that has confronted Christ's church is that there are many who profess the Christian faith, but they do nothing or very little to prove or show their faith. In a conversation I had with a strong Christian friend named Dave, I talked about volunteer work I do for a local mission, which helps feed and provide inexpensive used clothing to the impoverished in the county. When he discussed his faith, I asked what he does to show his faith in action. I quote a scripture which says that faith with works is dead. So what are you doing? After a long pause, he said nothing, but decided he needed to join me in volunteering for a Christian-based organization. Why are works so important? The reason is because our faith is our behavior. Our works is what reveals to the non-believer the identity of our God. Our works and our behavior tell the world that we serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our faith, accompanied by works, is what separates us from this sinful and wicked world. And this is why here we find that we are told, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? This is a crucial point because it's easy to say we have faith, But because we say this, it doesn't mean we possess possess genuine faith. What counts is how we demonstrate our faith. It's extremely important to understand that our faith must be accompanied by works. Biblical wisdom. There are two types of wisdom discussed in the Bible, worldly and godly. Some of the troubles and problems of the human race are stemmed from the fact that people followed the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of the Lord. Each person has equal opportunity of choosing which kind of wisdom he or she will choose. And if you do a word search for, and they did what was right in their own eyes, you'll be surprised at how many times this appears in the Old Testament. This was the downfall for many people or people groups, and this was a great example of worldly wisdom. But having the fear of the Lord as the beginning for all wisdom is godly wisdom. Walking in wisdom helps us make the right choices for our lives and protects us, Proverbs 2, 11-16, equips us to handle difficult situations and relationships. 
Wisdom helps you work smarter, not harder, as mentioned in Ecclesiastes 10.10. Those who have God's wisdom will show it in the way that they live. Wisdom and knowledge, both recurring themes in the Bible, are related but not synonymous. The dictionary defines wisdom as the ability to discern or judge what is true, right, and lasting. Knowledge, on the other hand, is information gained through experience, reasoning, and acquaintance. Knowledge can exist without wisdom, but not the other way around. One can be knowledgeable without being wise. For example, knowledge is knowing how to use a gun. Wisdom is knowing when to use it and when to keep it holstered. Wisdom is a gift from God. James 1.5 states, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. God blesses us with wisdom in order for us to glorify him and use the knowledge we have of him. Here's another one. Temptations, trials, tests, and tribulations. James 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Temptation. It is an enticement or invitation to do something sinful. The purpose of temptation is to bring out the worst in us and for us to learn to overcome. Trials and Tribulations. A trial is a painful circumstance allowed by God to change our conduct and character. Several biblical terms for trials are actually interchangeable. Suffering, hardship, tribulation, chastising, and discipline. The purpose of trials is to refine our lives and leave us with a purer, stronger faith, as well as a character that God can bless and use. Tests. A spiritual test, according to several religious tradition, is the life situation provided by God to evaluate man's individual moral character and obedience. Job is a good example of being put to the test, and he stuck to his principles and his love of God. God cannot tempt us, but he can put trials and tests in front of us. Why does God allow trials and tribulation? The Lord wants us to use these times of trial and testing to do the following. One, to develop our faith in him as our source. Two, to put into practice spiritual principles to overcome our obstacles. And three, to bring glory to him as we triumph over the challenges we face. How can we have joy in the midst of trials? Having joy in all circumstances is not an easy topic to teach, or more importantly, to live through. That said, the scriptures spend a lot of time addressing trials and testing, with the main points being as follows. A. We will all be tested and go through trials, and these times are never easy. God, B. God is in control of all circumstances and will not leave you or forsake you. C. God has a purpose in everything he does. And finally, D. During these times, we need to focus our thoughts away from grief and toward the divine. Let's talk about being blessed and being a blessing. How do you respond to the offhand question, well, how are you today? A good friend of mine always says, blessed. 
we need to be reminded that many times that we indeed are blessed. We receive God's riches, which we do not equate to the world's riches. While we may not be financially rich, may not be in the best of health, may have family issues or other similar things which are of concern to us, but we Christians are in God's book of life. And what other blessing do we really need? If we are fortunate to also have what we consider to be the world's riches, we need to be mindful that all things come from God and belong to God, and we are only temporary custodians of these. We must remain humble, not letting pride into our lives, but just be grateful for all he has done for us. Just count your blessings and name them one by one. As just stated, we are indeed blessed to be in God's family. You may also have received God's worldly riches, and the question that needs to be asked is, are we a blessing to others? What have we done with the talents and riches that God has given us? Have we built up warehouses to store our abundance, or have we shared it with others who are less fortunate? As your career progresses, you need to keep in mind how blessed you really are to be in the family of God and live in the land of freedom and opportunity. As there will always be someone with more money than you, there will always be someone with less who is less fortunate than you, and you need to work to be a blessing to them. You should not just give lip service to this thought, but live up to it for the rest of your life. Judging Others Jesus knew humans would struggle with judging, and he contained a stern warning in his word. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same manner you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 7, verses 1 and 2. These verses do not mean that we should never make judgments. Obviously, we make judgments every day. We judge between right and wrong, dangerous choices from safe ones, etc., Jesus is cautioning us not to judge others in a hypocritical way. He is telling us to take the log out of our own eye so we can see how to help the other person. We shouldn't be habitually critical of someone else when our own sin needs to be corrected as well. Judging a person does not define who they are. It defines who we are. Comforting others. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable. He comforts us so that we can comfort others, especially in their times of grief. I'm not an expert here, so this is based on a literature search. Basically, to gently comfort someone, just be there for them. You may ask them if they'd like to talk about their feelings, and if so, listen quietly. Let them cry if they need to and offer a hug. Acknowledge that you can't fix the problem, but you'll always be there for them and will do whatever you can to help. Also, you may just be there with them and say nothing, just letting them feel your presence and love. Here's a good one. Man created in God's image. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. Genesis 1.27. To be made in the image of God means that we have certain characteristics that God has been given to us. So, for example, where God can love, we can also love. Where God can reason, we can also reason. We reflect the, mate, the character and nature of God in so many ways, but obviously there are certainly major differences between God and man. 
So then, how are we like God or made in his image? This is not a physical likeness, but encompasses a full set of characteristics. It does not mean that God is a physical being with two arms, a head, and so forth. Rather, at a deeper level, it is saying that the basic characteristics of people are derived from similar characteristics of God. God is spirit, John 4.24, and does not have a body like man. Accordingly, he designed our bodies not like the animals, but with an erect posture and with an upward-gazing countenance, capable of facial expressions, corresponding with emotional feelings, and with a brain and tongue capable of articulate, symbolic communication. There are two points of reference. First, the image of God marks us out from all other living creatures, which by implication are not made in the image of God. Genetically, we may be almost identical to our nearest animal relative, the chimpanzee, but spiritually, we are poles apart. The second point, of course, God himself and what he has revealed of himself in nature, in scripture, and most especially in Christ. Therefore, what does it mean that we are made in the image and likeness of God? The likeness or image manifests itself in various distinctive characteristics of humanity. Creative. Animals are totally uncreative. We have original creative ideas. Intelligence. Unlike animals, man is a thinker and capable of being instructed with the ability to reason and make choices, otherwise known as free will. Aesthetic. We have the capacity to appreciate beauty. Moral. We are moral beings and God created us to be able to understand his moral character and purposes. Human conscience is a major aspect of our humanity. Emotional. Humans have emotions, joy, sorrow, anger, peacefulness, like Jesus who wept. Relational. Our goal is to have a relationship with God through our faith, works, and prayer. Spiritual. We are spiritual beings, and only man of all God's creatures has a spirit or God consciousness, a capability of knowing God and holding spiritual communion with him. Dominion. Humans exercise dominion over the earth derives from God's sovereignty. So where does this leave us? Our chief aim in life is to know and be known by our creator. This loving relationship between man and God is the way things are supposed to be. Our purpose, fulfillment, delight, and the very life itself flow from this relationship as well as our eternal future. Another main point is that Men and women are created in his image and are equal. Therefore, no one should look at themselves as being better than anybody else, but they should strive to fulfill God's requirements to love one another, regardless of race, ethnicity, position, gender, or beliefs. So what's the takeaway message on this long podcast? The first two important things that you should do to enrich your spiritual life is to find and attend a great church, and as part of that, join a Sunday school class to enjoy the fellowship of other Christians with similar interests and to study God's Word. The second major issue is to regularly read the Bible or books written about Christian values and issues. Stay close to the Lord and His Word. I hope this has been helpful to all of you in making Christianity more meaningful. It is so important to stay close to the Lord and seek his direction and obey his commands. My next podcast is a very intriguing and important topic, 
and may be a bit of a surprise to the listener. It's entitled, Making Jesus Your Savior and Lord. A lot of people seek Jesus for salvation and what he has done for us. But the Lord part of the equation is what you do for him in obeying his word, which is the essence of making him your Lord. Stay tuned. It's an exciting podcast. Well, that's it for now. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. Please visit my website, newgradadvice.com, for more information about the book and these podcasts. So bye for now, and thanks for listening.